stay there. You know what? I believe that every single person on this planet can make a difference. And I believe that we all have something to offer, something that's so unique that it will change somebody else's life. I believe we all deserve to step into our true selves. And I believe that every single person needs to feel great about themselves. I want you to step into who you truly are and I want you to make a difference for somebody else and for yourself. And I don't think it's that hard. It's a matter of putting one step in front of the other and just taking action. And I'm interviewing guests that have done just that. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off The Bench podcast. And here is where you can make that decision to make your life count. It all starts with you saying yes. Hey guys, and welcome back to another week of the Get Off The Bench podcast. This week, I am chatting with the incredible Simon Harvey, aka Captain Australia. Now, he had stage four cancer in his face and neck, and he went into an incredible, incredible depression, put on heaps of weight, uh, damaged his thyroid because of the cancer treatment, and just ended up in a really, really awful mess. And he then decided, I'm going to do something about this. And he started to pick himself up. And this, this is such an incredible story, such a lovely story. He ended up walking from Brisbane to Melbourne and without a team, just him on his own. And he had a sort of a like a triangle three-point uh, reasoning for this. And one was for, uh, personal healing. The second one was to raise awareness and money for the Kids Cancer Project. And the third point of this was to leave a legacy for his kids. This is such a great story. And it's just so powerful, you know, that um, talking a lot about in this in this episode, a lot about hope, and a lot about um, personal choices. And, you know, I, I'm with Simon, I think that we all do have the choice uh, to to make changes in our life. So um, I really hope you enjoy this. I'm just going to get straight into it. So let's go. Welcome, Simon. Yeah, cheers. Karen, how are you doing? I'm fantastic. Oh, it's good to see you again. Yeah, cheers, mate. Yeah, I think we were, I'm trying to think when I did see, I think it was uh, about mid-March, maybe it was about the 10th of March or something like that I saw you. I got to Melbourne on the 19th, so it would have been in the first week of March that I went through that sort of sale, Barnsdale area, I reckon. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe just around the start of March. Yeah, it was fantastic. And, you know, just so that, you know, I've, I've just done an intro on you and, you know, you're just doing doing amazing stuff or you've done amazing stuff. And I'd love to talk about that, you know, about how you're feeling, how you're feeling now, but we'll get to that later. But um, I think that you... You know, I remember pulling you, I, I passed you in Trelgan, you know, a, a few days later and you're walking along and I just looked at you and I thought, man, he's got to be tired, like walking from Brisbane to Melbourne. It's It's got to take its toll. And, and I remember pulling you up on the side of the road near Stratford and, you know, you're just looking at me like, oh, Christ, who's this yeah. wants to talk to me? Well, yeah, obviously, yes. You walk from Brisbane to Melbourne, you get tired. But I think adrenaline, like when you came and you just threw that sack over my head and threw me in the back of your car, the adrenaline kicked in, you know. So suddenly when, when it's fight or flight, life or death, tiredness just evaporates, you know what I mean? So I was in survival mode when we met, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> 
So for everybody listening, that's not quite true. There wasn't a band yeah, over his head. I'm having a go. It was like <laughs> great to be able to get off my feet for a few minutes, yeah. Yeah, but I did pull him into the car because it was it was absolutely bucketing down. I said, "Come on, Simon, Folks, yeah. let's do this. Um, let's do this interview." So you um you walked from uh, Brisbane to Melbourne. So um, tell us what like that was, and that was to raise raise money and raise awareness and all that kind of stuff. But that was because you had stage four cancer. But tell us what your life was like before the cancer diagnosis. Like who? What, what was Simon doing and how was, how was thing, things happening? Well, it's probably worth uh, going back uh, and having a quick run over the childhood because a lot of that informs who I was, why I did what I did, yeah? And if yeah. then when you start telling your own story, you've got this sort of generate, it's about sorrow and overcoming sorrow and it's about mm. kindness being the antidote to that sorrow, yeah? And, yeah. and you've got this sort of way that, pain and, and and bad bad sort of lessons tend to tend to go in these generational cycles yeah so i'd actually wind back to my grandfather very very quickly so he was a frenchman he, he collaborated with the germans in in world war ii and he had to escape france and he could never go back yeah uh, so he was broken by his experiences in the war and he came to live in Australia married and had children three children one of whom was my mother who was the youngest of the three uh, I think the way the war broke him was profound he was a violent man a thuggish man he was very I didn't know a lot of this when I was a child to me he was this sweet figure who'd play the you know the French accordion and sing songs in a language I couldn't understand that seemed you know melancholy but Later, I learned that he was really violent. He used his fists on my grandmother a lot. He, he, I don't think he ever punched my mother, but he might have interfered with her when she was, you know, uh, a young girl. Uh, I don't know. But it was a dark situation and it darkened my mother's outlook. So she left, uh, she got pregnant when she was 15 years old and she became addicted to heroin. So this was in the, in the, uh, yeah, you know, the hippie kind of, it was just after Vietnam, it's 1970, you know, and she was just sort of caught up in, in that young and naive, I think. So, you know, started chasing the dragon and I think then that becomes a lifelong, a lifelong pursuit, yeah. So yeah. Uh, she had been darkened in her upbringing and she learned a lot of flawed lessons about love, you know, that, it's transactional, that she's unworthy of it, et cetera, et cetera. And then I'm born. And I, I have two younger brothers as well, incidentally. But so I grew up in the care of an addict and she's, a, she's in a way a lovely woman. There's nothing, you know, it's, just, it's not her fault that she's broken. Uh, but my mission in my life is to arrest that, make sure that that cycle stops and that I pass not a whiff of it to my children, even positive ramifications of it, like, uh, if I'm overly diligent or overly careful, I don't want that to necessarily impact the development of my children, even though it seems to be positive because it's grounded in that trauma. So I grew up in the addict and you, you learn you're unworthy of love at the end of the day. You know, the, the, the natural organic human learnings that you have growing up, they become distorted, but you see them at the time as genuine learnings and you fold them into your life and your identity and who you are. So, yeah, I, I uh, had this sort of, uh, you know, there were 
I had a shotgun pointed at me when I was a teenager, you know, by a dealer. I, I, I've had, you know, traumatic experiences in there, but for the most part, uh, we moved around a lot, you know. So I, I grew up um, with with fork in the road ethics, and life wanted me to be a thief. Life wanted me to be a breaker and a taker because I was exposed to those kind of people. Yeah, and I, I think that influence is a really important theme in the Big Walk, you know, because hope works in the same way. It reaches out, influences people. But yes, yeah, so I grew up in this in this. Uh, contaminated environment and when I was 15 it it just it reached a point that I I had to leave or die you know even if death not suicide necessarily but death can be in different forms you can have like a a, a spiritual dying you know or, or ethics can wither and die and I, I just I felt the hopelessness of my situation impacting on me and there were a few things that happened that yeah, they're pretty, pretty shady, pretty dodgy. Yeah, uh, that if I if I told you the stories, it'd probably go into too much information and too graphic. You know, but there were some dark experiences, and it just came to a crunch, and I had to leave. And the thing is, the theme of when I left, I just slung a pack over my shoulder, sold everything I had. So I I had twenty eight dollars after selling my radio and my judo uniforms and everything I could, and I hit the road. Back at the time, you could buy a can of baked beans for 22 cents roundabout. So I had, uh, you know, I was a month on the road pretty much, 28 days, I think, if I remember right, and it was an adventure. Mm. It took me from that, that dark place and it started to just tease into me the idea that, well, hang on, Simon, the world isn't exactly what you've learned. You know, it wasn't the same or of the same magnitude, clarity and purpose as my later big walk, which you know, I'll, I'll get to, but it was this, this moment, this awakening, this, this lightening. So it, it set me up for my adulthood, but you don't overcome the lessons of a lifetime in a day, a week or a month. I mean, you can, but it takes, and I, I actually, I say you can't, but I believe we are all capable of spontaneous remission of, of pain and sorrow. We are capable of just those little moments of, of, of elevation of, you know, it's like the old Zen Buddhist stories, you know, and then in that moment he was enlightened. Yep. And it's, you can have those profound lessons and they're available to us, but we don't necessarily have the diligence and the courage and the toolkit to seek them out and make the most of them. Yeah. So it takes, but for me, that moment was, was uh, it, it had that theme of darkness to hope. So fast forward, I spent 10, 20 years pissing my life against the wall. You know, I always wanted to make forward momentum, but I was never living to my potential. You know what I mean? That for me is the, the, the sad learning of my life, wasted years, you know, and probably everybody feels that way, you know. You've never just plowed through your life with absolute vigour, always doing the best in all situations, but... I, I think that I was somewhat crippled by my childhood. I didn't believe that I was, you know, um, I didn't think that happiness was available to me. And if it were, I, I thought that there was something specially ugly and unworthy about me that meant, you know, other people get it but never me. And so life wants you to become resentful <laughs> and it wants you to, you know, it internalise those learnings and I think that's, you know, I, I've met people who were 
broken, harshly broken, violent breakers and takers and all of that. And I think there's just these moments along the way where, where they were taken off the path. Like Dustin Hoffman had this lovely quote that, you know, he said, when I look at the junkie and the thief, I see the toddler that they were once upon a time. I wonder what went wrong. Yep. You know? And I think we can remediate some of that, but we, we have to be accountable for our, for our choices as well. Sorry, I'm too made, by the way. But, yeah, so there's this guy, 15 years old, he learned certain lessons. And then fast forward, I just organically at forks in the road made choices about my life, tried to learn who I was. And I, I only just recently realised you don't have to learn who you are, you can choose. And those choices are what defines you. And if there's a spiritual meaning to our lives, whether that's a not not a religious thing, but it can be something, you know, if you're an atheist, you can still have spiritual meaning in your life, but it's something that you inject that doesn't come from a higher power. It comes from, from a, a fertility in your own imagination and ethics. And you say, this is who I want to be and this is why, you know. But if there is a spiritual meaning to our life, it's our choices that define and define it and define whether we succeed or fail in pursuing it. And I, I slowly, over 20 years, you know, I went, I, I got a job, a horrible, boring, the insurance industry. It's the, you know, one of the oldest industries in the world next to prostitution. And the parallel is there for a reason, you know. <laughs> it's not a, it's, yeah. And that's where I spent 13 years of my life working there. So I wasn't worth anything else, right? And I did well because I'm smart. So I, I earned money. I, I made hay while the sun was shining. You know, I got a mortgage, bought the house, still owe money on the house. Uh, but I wasn't happy. And then I went on a quest for love. So I realised love is this fundamental thing that's missing. And that was where I started to move forward as a human being. So I, I fell in love. Again, though, adult love's transactional. You know, I'll love you as long as you don't poop your pants while you're laying in bed with me or you know you don't change the channel while I'm watching something or you don't cheat on me or lie to me but oh uh, you know I had three sons you know uh, and that's where I learned absolute unconditional love and that became like a, a massive motivation in my life it, it maybe even the only fundamental one yeah so um the background yeah I got sick I was 44 years old, muddling through my life as I had. Because, you know, all that starting out of trauma, it has downsides, but it's made me very flexible in the way I think and the way I learn. I, th I think I'm almost completely open-minded. I mean, I'm judgy as hell. I will judge you, but uh, I will judge you in a way that I think is fair and unbiased. And it recognises, like people say, oh, you, you know, you've got an open mind, but you're so judgy. Yeah, but people judge it's what we do we just like to pretend that we don't the question is whether you do it fairly and honestly you know and we're not so honest these days you know we avoid topics hard topics because you know i, I would like to think karen today when i know i'm doing all the talking at the moment but when we talk the dialogue can just be straight up honest because i i value that more than i worry about hurting or offending people because I know that that honesty is is the the foundation from which it gets better for all of us. If we're able to refine our honesty with our ethics and our compassion, you know what I mean. So you tell the truth, but you tell it with heart and 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 
you, you know, you're sharing lessons as opposed to, um, you know, I can tell the truth. Oh, you're fat and ugly. I don't think you're fat and ugly. You know what I mean? <laughs> I can the truth as a, as a knife. Yeah. Or I, I, I can allow it to bloom. And, you know, that's, again, it's a defining choice that we make. But, yeah, I've got six stage four cancer. It was a head and neck cancer. Um, it, it, six months to live was my prognosis, but I had a 40 to 60% chance that chemo radiation would fix me. Uh, the treatment was horrible. I had a, a tube into my stomach to, to feed, which I was dependent on. It was surgically put into my tummy. Um, I, I couldn't take anything by mouth for about six months. And even so, I'd feed myself into the tummy with this formula. And sometimes I'd vomit it up with like pain and blood. I've always been good with pain, though. The doctor, I went and saw my oncologist at one point, and he's like, look, how, how are you going with your morphine? And I'm like, I, you know, I had a, a endone. I had these different medicines. I don't remember their names. And I'm like, oh, I haven't filled the script yet. He's like, wait, what? And he, like, examines me. He looks at the inside of my mouth. You should be screaming in pain right now. And I'm like, no, no, I'm good with a bit of Panadol. <laughs> it's all right. Um, and I did end up taking the more serious pain medicine, but... I think I think I've always sort of steered away from that sort of pain relief a little bit because you know my mum was an addict and what if that's in me? What if it's a DNA thing? But yeah, I I got through the treatment, but it it broke my heart, and I didn't process. I hid it from my children, and I mitigated and diminished it with my wife, and I guess that meant that I couldn't properly process and grieve and feel what I was feeling and, and all of that. So, you know, four years, uh, when I beat it, it's like, yay, I beat it. But everything that I did became about the cancer or even the positive stuff, you know. So we took a holiday, not because it's wonderful to go out and take a holiday, but I beat cancer, so I should go out and take a holiday, even though I, you know, don't, I'm ambivalent about how I feel and my heart's a bit broken and I should do this and I should do that. So cancer, I gave this tremendously inflated footprint in my life. Kind of, I I feel we as a society have done the same thing with COVID. Um, We've given it a much larger shadow than it merits, yeah? Um, And for me, four years. I spent four years just trying to overcome that existential crisis and it got to the point where a year before the big walk, I, I realised I was just waiting to die. So uh, the, the treatments, the chemo radiation had wrecked my thyroid. That regulates your metabolism. I'd gained about 55 kilograms. So I, before Christmas uh, of 2020, uh, I, I weighed over 140 kilos. And I, I just... I was walking home from school one day and I just remembered that walk that I took as a child. And I hadn't thought about it in years, but I had this ripple, that feeling on the, the hairs on the back of your neck. And I, I, it's like God speaking to you, you know what I mean? It's, I don't have a particular faith or anything, but there's, it's a moment where you recognise a resonant truth. And let's say where the truth is, um, whether there's an objective reality, a truth is individual, what, all of that stuff, for me, it was a resonant truth. And it's that, it was like this muscle memory of hope. So I, I thought I began to believe in magic a little. I began to accept that if I did a quest, if I did a pilgrimage, I could recreate hope in my life. So the charity was much later. You know, well, when I, when I, I, I could have just sung up 
pack over my shoulders, no more, no superhero stuff or anything, hit the road and walk. But and at that night I started walking. I was, I spent a week walking. I lost like 12, 14 kilos in the first month, you know, I was just walking, walking and thinking and reflecting and just starting to pick away mm. at the processed feelings. Yeah. But I also started to think, you know, this isn't enough. It's, I, 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 I need to, I really need to go. I need to do a big walk and then bang, Captain Australia. Because I, I, I did create Captain Australia back in like 2006, 2007. Yeah. I got out. It was, a, it was a shits and giggles thing as much as anything else. It was before I got married I, and in the early days of my marriage. Uh, and I just, it was my way of combating that corporate malaise, I guess, that sort of, that grayness creep into day-to-day life you know your wheels are in the rut of the track and that that's all you can see in front of you so it was my way of shaking that up and also unconsciously saying the world is darkening the world is how we need we need individually to to embrace ways to change that to divert trajectory we're on so it was it was just uh, but it, it wasn't people thought that I was trying to fight crime you know, that, that's the way the public generally interpreted the idea of somebody saying the world is darkening and dressing up like that. But for me, and I didn't really know and I didn't know how to articulate it, but for me it was always about hope and kindness. But I wasn't able to refine that until I got sick and then I realised I need to take a walk and then I'm like, Captain Australia can come out. He can, he can save me and I can do it dressed as a superhero and people will see that and it'll be a spectacle so I can help a charity. And as soon as I decided to be of service to a charity, amplified all of the healing element of it. Yeah. So chose to get the cancer project and that's that's the background to it anyway. I chose to- I love it. Well, well, you've been sitting there telling us the story in your Captain Australia outfit. And before I called it a Captain America outfit, and we had to cut it because I started cackling like a bloody chicken. But um, <laughs> but uh, let, let's reveal Simon right. before we well, get on to the next bit. When I got back the walk, I shaved off the big bushy beard and cut the hair. So I'm a bit, there, there, there it is. is. Um, but the beard's just coming back. So I've been back for a couple of months. The big walk took me 84 days. And during the walk, I mean, I, I continued losing weight. Um, I got this big, long, bushy beard. And, yeah, when I got home, people wanted to see what the person underneath looked like. So bzz, 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 there's a fun. I never thought that I would ever be shaving my face to an audience. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, or cutting my own hair like someone too poor to go to the barber, you know, but for an audience. Uh, but, yeah, here I am. This is me. Ta-da. So. I am, and I am now. Thanks so much. I am now more than I was, but I'm not sure who I am exactly. So I spent a few months, um, like at the start of the walk, I was Simon pretending to be a superhero, and I was processing grief. I was I was walking down the beach crying, you know. I was on my quest, and I was seeing the sunrise, and I was getting what I needed from those moments to heal myself. And somewhere in that walk, the, the identities of Simon and Captain Australia overlapped. And I was just me, you know. I just happened to be dressed like a buffet superhero. But the Simon that was, um, I left a lot of him on the beach. So I haven't quite figured out 
you know, the the before, during, the after is a bit jumbled. I'm still colouring in the, you know, and I'm, I'm getting bits outside of the lines, you know. I'm, I'm just, I, I feel sloppy and lazy. I'm lounging around my feet hurt all the time. You know, I've got all these old man grumbles. And Captain Australia wasn't about any of that. But maybe Future Simon is a little bit, you know. You need to have a whinge every so often. So I haven't, I haven't figured out me 2.0. Uh, but I do have clarity around some of the things that I want to do with my life, I guess. So the big walk gave me that. But the biggest thing from the walk was learning how important it is. And it's, it's like a mental health lesson, how important it is to feel what you feel and not hide from it. Not like maybe my mother's addiction was her hiding from feelings. You know, I don't know. Maybe a lot of people with addiction, it's about medication, you know, medication to get pain. Since I came back, they asked me to go and talk to this, um, the Police Youth Club organisation. They have these, um, it's like a re-education program or something for troubled teens who run off the rails a bit. And in this case, it was a, a group of girls, like about 20, I'll, I'll say, girls who who were attending and they do it for six months and they get a certificate at the end and they asked me to come along and speak so and and it was i was able to talk just authentically about a lot of that stuff right? and about how we don't the fundamental for me is choice we don't have to allow our past experiences to define our future choices so i dress up like a superhero i have no powers i'm defined by my weaknesses but if you're kind, I'm defined by how vigorously I try to rise above them, yeah? And I think if you live a life where your choices are ethical, even if it's a train wreck, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter, you know? You look yourself in the eye and you say, I've always done my best. I've always been kind. I've always tried to be righteous. And so I've got all these little learnings that probably most people have wrapped into their life when they're 20, but I've learned. I've only started picking them up in my 50s because of the big walk, yeah. And it was this, you strip everything back, you unplug everything, all of the distractions from your day-to-day -day life, and you're out in nature. So I'd, I'd strongly advocate for anybody who's broken and struggling to, um, yeah, think about that, you know. Think about just taking walkabout, like the old Indigenous thing. I don't want to culturally appropriate, but it's something that tribal cultures have been doing for millennia or centuries or whatever the right word is you know and it just get the wild breathing yeah looking at yeah. the ocean oh 100 percent. i think nature i, I just did it went to a chuka on the weekend and did a video about that you know just get out in nature and start your day in nature start just start the day with fresh air you know because we are so I don't know, I, I can't even think of the right word, but I feel like squashed, you know, so so squashed down by everything around us. When we get out in nature and in the openness, we can actually breathe, you know, and we're like, oh, oh, I'm not in a box, you know, I'm not stuck in this little space. And I think there's spiritual boxes too, Karen. Like we've got this, like when you, when you were talking then, you were talking about being boxed in and your body language expanding out, right? If you look at the way the way that technology is woven into our lives, right? It's meant to expand us out. It's meant to connect us, but at the same time, it it it, it firmly, concretely locks in what we can and can't say, and how we tend to look, so that people will think, "Oh, 
he's happy and he's gorgeous and you know and the disingenuous nature of it means that it kind of pulls you further away from any hope of finding your center i think this connectedness that we're supposed to have but we don't have we then we get this weird disparity and i think when you when you're unhappy in your life it's it's usually just that in a, you've got inner conflict of some kind, you know. Like, oh. I don't know if you can see what is that. it? <laughs> a mug with a superhero? No, it's a, a ghoul. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> I'll flip it. I'll check that out. Oh, the big walk. Oh, that's fantastic. There you go. You've got yeah, your own mug. Up. You've gone up in the world. CaptainAustralia.online, <laughs> <laughs> you'll find links and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, the whole I don't know, mate. Like the your your get off the bench thing. I don't know if I have any great lessons in terms of how it relates to other people, but the recipe for me was dressing up like a superhero and taking a big walk. And I think everybody has in them that magical solution, that one that one thing. And it might be pursuing a passion, becoming a circus clown, whatever it is. But it's that thing that gets them off the bench, you know. Well, well, I think with um with get off the bench, you know, I started this as, as helping people to kickstart projects. But the more the more I go through the podcast, the more I want it to be about just don't sit there and let life shit on you. Just you, you know, like like be self determined. Just just get up, get up and change the bloody channel. Get up and move. Get up and do something. You know, get off that bloody bench because if you're sitting on the bench. You're just waiting. You're a sitting duck waiting, waiting for life to take you out. You are. Just get up, you know, and, and it doesn't have to be anything. You don't have to walk from Brisbane to Melbourne. You don't have to save the world. You don't have to do anything like that. But just do something you love, like just make just just do something that makes you feel some joy because if you feel joy, you extend that joy. Do you know? And, and when people are immersed in joy, the world becomes a better place. So at the end of the day, I mean, it started off as kickstarting projects. Now it's like I just want people to feel like they have something to offer this world and just by taking the smallest of actions, they can send it a ripple effect that it impacts so many other people and the world can be a better place. And at the end of the day, that's what I'm wanting to achieve. But, you know, I like... Karen, the world, yeah, no, the world too, mate, it's not... It's not all rainbows and puppy dogs and flowers. It wants to grind you down. It wants to fail. And it's it's not a deliberate, I don't think it's a purposeful evil, although it could be. It's just an accidental side effect of the way we build our societies, yeah? But for me, it wants to grind you down. And if there, if there let's say there were a Christ in the modern world, the world would have that guy just doing infomercials, you know, using his charm. Charm to like, and he'd be so confused and batshit crazy by all of these impulses around him that that's what he'd do, you know. And it would be futile and pointless and ugly. But when you, when you, and you said it's that, it's and if you pursue all of that yourself, you give other people a roadmap. You unconsciously grant them a path that they that they can follow. It's that ripple effect. So you and me, we might make a make a dazzling new recipe for a certain type of pizza or whatever but somewhere out there there's a gandhi or 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 there's there's some some wonderful beautifully gifted painter who can move the world with their art 
who is locked into playing Roblox or whatever they're doing because they 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 don't they don't see that permission to shine. Mm. So I, I I think ripple effect is profoundly important. It's the way we turn everything around as a species, I reckon. I, I, 100%. I agree with that, and that's why I keep at it. But speaking of pathways, because you you just said, you know, let's create pathways, your pathway, um, Brisbane to Melbourne, why did you, you why did you choose Brisbane to Melbourne? Like, what is, What's the significance in that? It's a big bloody walk. A <laughs> <laughs> very big bloody like, walk. I was in Brisbane and my grandmother lived in Sydney. I didn't get all the way there. I got to a town called Gloucester, which is about 100 kilometres out of Sydney. I had like 50 cents left. My shoes had fallen to pieces and I just had these horrible blisters on my feet and I realised I'm a little bit rooted. And I I just used that 50 cents to call my grandma and she bullied the local station master into giving me a ticket. This was before credit cards and all of that sort of stuff, so she promised to send a traveller's check or whatever and she, she was a force of nature. But she got me on a train, got me the rest of the way there, and I lived happily there for a couple of years. And, yeah, I, I learned that my grandfather had habitually used his fist on, fists on it. But that getting there, I, I sort of created this peace between them in her final years. So she died just a couple of years later from bladder cancer and it was a long horrible death and I used to just wag school every day and go and sit with her in the hospital I don't think anybody in the family knew that at the time um and if I it's probably one of the things that I'm happiest that I've done in my life being able to bring that that ease into her last years yeah but yeah the um I had walked from Brisbane to Sydney more or less and I think uh, at first I thought oh well I'll do that again I'll walk from Brisbane to Sydney but then I hang on I was a boy then, now I'm a man. Let's walk to Melbourne. You know, it's just, it's a big bloody walk. And I, the math of it, it was about right. You know, I got to the end, I've, I've done a bit of damage to myself, but, you know, it could be worse. Um, and it was long enough that the ordeal, like if you just have an ordeal for a week, yeah, you have an ordeal and you'll learn some stuff from it. But you get to this barrier where where you push through and then you're like, I have to keep pushing through. And eventually you reach a point where that is your life. It's no longer an ordeal. And you learn that suffering is something that you can bear and it's and you will get to the end. And you you know what I mean? So you fold certain insights about, about you know, past lessons in your life that you learned wrong. Like for me, I met kindness at every turn, you know. So my that people are breakers and takers and, and purely selfish and, and all of that was wrong. It wasn't true. So I was able to fold that new reality into my life going forward. And what I learned was even if that is false, I would prefer to live in that world and be wrong than live in the dark world. You know what I mean? So that then says to me ethically, give everybody that initial platform. Let them, you know, that, so trust. Let them betray your trust rather than walk around in life not trusting. You, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I would, I would prefer to live in that world than not. And, you know, then the one in a 100 will come along and steal your car or whatever. So you work around that, move forward, but don't let that darken your outlook towards the 99. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. 
That is so true. Is I always say that too when I'm training people. Is just love the person sitting next to you, you know, and just like just invest in love because. And yes, they might shit on you, but that's that's their karma, not yours. You know, you might as well live in a world where you you hope. I, I think I think it's the um hope. You just you just you just hope that everybody. I don't believe that everybody's going to be great, but I kind of hope that they are. And I always put that hope first, you know, that I meet people at that place where I'm I'm hoping that that they're going to be kind and they're going to be nice. But oh, I love it. When you you said before, uh, we started to get to it before, and I know this because I know your story, that that before you took on the walk, you had sunk into such a deep depression, you know, that um well, you know, that you felt like it was you were dying. You felt like it was killing you. There, there are going to be people listening to this that or people who know people, people listening who know other people who have, are in a point of depression where they feel they can't dig themselves out. You know, they're just, just maybe they're not at a point where they want to take their life or, you know, or finish everything, but they just feel like every day it, nothing's ever going to get better because they've lost hope. How did you... What was what was the thing that just I know you said you walked on the beach and you you know and you you did went for walks and that kind of stuff but what was the thing that made you say I'm not sitting in this place anymore I'm just I just sick to death of this place the depression for me is a bit like cancer it's it's an insidious disease it's not it's not like getting hit by a bus where you can get hit by a bus and it can kill you or, mm. or you permanently. When you get hit by a bus, you either die or you deal with it and move forward. You may have to even roll around in a wheelchair, but you're not going to spend the rest of your days worrying about getting hit by a bus again probably because the odds are horribly low. But with depression, it colours the remainder of your days in front of you for whatever, however far forward you can see. So you'll look into your life and it'll just be, I don't know, sterile and, and uninviting, the no magic, no joy, uh, bereft of dignity and hope. And I think hope is absolutely the fuel for change. So believing that a positive outcome is available to you and generating that belief isn't something, you know, you can do all this false self-help, blah, 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 but I don't think that that's something that you can necessarily teach somebody, like there's a particular recipe for creating hope. What there is is a role model, an example, a roadmap, yeah? So I, I, can, I took my broken life, profoundly broken, found a recipe that was unique to me and spontaneously healed. Cancer is behind me now. Uh, those feelings are behind me now. My mood is consistently. So my baseline might have been a three out of 10 before. Now it's a six or a seven. So I'm much better at navigating the highs and the lows. The lowest I'll go is like a four out of 10, you know, higher, higher, yeah? And the thing is the hope that positive change is available is fundamentally necessary. Otherwise, you do it for a day, a week or a month, and then you, you go back to the old ways that, you know, permanent change requires hope. Hope is the fuel. And I think kindness is the engine. It's the antidote to sorrow. It helps you because you connect to other people and you become of use. But again, it's going to differ for 
different people. But what I what I think is one of the valuable things about my big walk is that it concretely demonstrates that it's possible. So if you have no hope, for me, the hope of taking a walk that would heal me, that's where it started with me. But if you have no hope, you don't have to take a walk. You don't have to sit on the beach. Some of these things won't work for you, right? We don't know what's going to work for you. But if you can go, oh, yeah, that Buffett did it. He's just a high-functioning moron and look at him. He did it. He completely turned it around. And that's why it's incumbent on me to not just show the walk to people have asked me to stay in touch. So I do. I every now and then I stream up and I say, I'm actually all good. I'm, I'm, I'm as a hot mess as I ever was, but I'm all good. You know, so I've, I've overcome the, the, the clause that cancer sinks into your life. Like it becomes a, a perpetual storm on your horizon. You, you spend so much of your time and energy because of cancer. You're either worrying about it or defying it or, you know, working to overcome the implications of it or whatever. Done. I'm completely done with that. The only time I do things because of cancer now is to help other people, people through treatment or my little mate Archer, who's in Westmead Hospital. We have these video calls from time to time. And I love that I can get him to smile because he's over it. He's been in hospital for three months now, right? And he's, he's struggling. Just a little boy, yeah? But that, that hope, you know, it's going to look different for all of us. But when you see, okay, there's, there's AMAP, can try that one. But when I try it and fail, I learn, try again, try again, try again and succeed. You know, like for me, failure is only a failure when you allow it to remain so. Otherwise, it's a lesson, you know. And the, idea, the idea of hope means that you will succeed. And it has to, has to be that adamant. You will succeed. It's like Wendy and Peter Pan. You can only fly when you believe in the magic. And hope like that. It has to be 100% investment. It has to be, oh, yeah, I'm in it. I'm in it and that's it. And the thing is, the world absent, it has, there's no benefit to it. You know, so even if you're self-deluding a little bit at first, but genuinely trying to navigate towards it, if you eventually click, like any momentum towards hope is a good thing. So even when you're, even when you're not quite there, then you, you commit some, like you, you, you find fractionally something to do. So for me, like um, obesity is a side effect of sadness, sorrow, depression, yeah? So people have written in and said, how did you lose so much weight? And I'm like, well, you know, and, and then translating that back to hope, because it's not about, you know, eat less and exercise, that's obvious. It's about having hope. And if you can't say, look, if you're 60 kilos overweight, that's like a year or two undertaking to solve it in a sane way. You can do it quick, not sane. Um, and, and to have that sustained hope, if you can't quite get bloom, you can at least say, look, I believe in this enough to commit a week. And after that week succeeds, I can do it. I'm capable. And then you start to navigate towards your internal truths and that recipe that is unique to you. But you've got that little spark of hope and you have to protect it and breathe life into it and preserve it. And as it grows, you then you're able to start sharing it. And the loss is one of the most devastating things, you know. So for me, it's something absolutely for, for sound mental health, you'd be protective of your sense of hope and personal momentum that's that's my takeaway from the walk anyway mm. and the benefit of the walk is that i can i can even if there's just one person out there you you 
you know, who hears it and goes, okay, I can do this too. Mm. All worthwhile. The oh, cancer, no. suffer, the subsequent suffering, the walk itself, all worthwhile. I love it. I, I believe in that. I'm a real big thing. You know, a lot of people have said to me, you're so resilient. You know, you've been kicked in the gut so many times. You keep getting up, you're resilient. Why? And I just used to think, well, I'm just resilient. I'm just, that's just who I am. But the more I've looked at this lately, and it's exactly what you're saying is, I believe underlying resilience is optimism. And it's that exactly what you're saying, that hope that there's a better tomorrow. There's that hope or that even that belief, you know, that, that there's something around the corner that is better. And I, I I really reckon that that's getting back up again and getting up resilience is all about the belief that there's something better around the corner or that there could be something better around the corner, which falls right into the hope that you're talking about. Yeah, well, for me, the, the, the thing is there's power. There's power for me. Absolutely there is. And I think there's power in you as well. And much anybody out there. So human beings can do remarkable things. But in order to access that strength, you need you need hope. You need to believe, right? So if you if your life has crushed you into believing the, the most you deserve is this and the best you can achieve is that, and you've completely internalized that, then you will never access any kind of meaningful power until you start to change that lesson and say, look. I, I get it. I, I, I have beauty in me. One of, the, one of the kindest gifts out of the big walk is I was able to fall in love with myself. Yeah. I'm in my life, you know. Wow. I look at myself and go, you, you're beautiful, mate. I love you, you know. And that, that's a new experience. But that ha- having hope in that possibility allows you to access power that is in there. It's already in there. We are human. We are strong. We can be united. We can lift each other up. And lifting each other up is that benefit, that ripple effect of becoming strong. I you know, love that. Fire each other. But, yeah, the, you, if you have no hope, you can't see it, you can't access it. And that's what life wants. So you say, life, you know, I'm going to be me, good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah. I love it. And and on the walk, you talk, you know, you talk about inspiring people. You um you did this for oh, the kids' cancer project. Well, you didn't do it for that. I'm gonna cough, hang on. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm gonna snap. So you did it for the oh I'm gonna leave. So you did it for the kids' cancer project. And um yep. although you didn't decide to do that, like that sort of came later, but but Tell us about the Kids Cancer Project and what it's about, what it means to you. So when I when I realised if I was going to do it, I could do it theatrically, I could be of service, I need to think about what charity I'd committed to. So it started just with the idea that if I do it, an insane walk, something that an old, a man of my age and state of health and, you know, my situation just wouldn't do, then they're, they're, that innately has a, you know, there's, dimension of public interest to it and then i do it dressed up as the bullfed superhero captain Australia. bang you know let's strap a rocket onto that and so the idea then that i i could do something meaningful something that has uh you know a, a, an achievable cynical result like raise a chunk of money do this do that then i needed to figure out 
where where the most merit was. So I, I looked at a lot of charities. I looked at like mental health charities. For me, there's the like homelessness and all the rest. They're, they're charities that solve the symptoms, not the problem. Um, so you know you can you can home the homeless, but until you until you solve like for a lot of people, homeless might be just a practical outcome. Like COVID can't work, can't pay the mortgage, I'm on the street. And, and that's a preventable and you can help someone, you can give them a home. But a lot of the people that I met on the road, they were, you know, self-medicating through health issues or, you know, there, there was strife and pain and underlying, you know, pathology that caused the problem. So giving them a house, it'll, it'll be trashed in a month and then, you know, that doesn't solve the core problem. So, you know, mental health, I looked at that and I thought, well, yeah, that's that's wonderful. But then I also thought, like, real mental health, you can go to therapy for 30 years. I, I, I believe that real mental health outcomes come from, like, long, hard, honest looks inside yourself and they're, they're, they're purely internal. Like I, I believe that none of us can prove that we actually exist. So objective reality is a, a slippery idea. So truth is internal to you. Absolute truth can only be internal to you. And given that, People can guide you, not teach you. You know, they can lead you to understandings that are already in here, locked away somewhere. Navigate to them yourself. So for me, you know, therapy and all of that, I'm not saying it's absolutely valueless and bullshit. It's there to guide you, not fix you. You have to fix yourself. That that that's the way I see a lot of. A that sort of mental health stuff anyway. Fair, unfair, true, untrue, that's the way I see it. Um, so I, I, I thought and thought about charities that look at the, the root cause of the problem. I thought about the science behind cancer, and I thought, man, it's too motivated. I had cancer, now I'm going to march against cancer. But, you know, I, I don't like the way, like, a celebrity will support diabetes because their nana has diabetes or whatever. It's, it's innately selfish. And then I thought, paediatric cancer. I love children. I think children are the light that life tries to snuff out. You know, I am more childlike now than I have ever been because I had to become old soon, yeah? So the idea of being childlike is, is wonderful and important, not shameful and embarrassing. The idea of paediatric cancer, that no child should have to endure the things that I did, bang done that's it it makes sense so then i looked at the charities that are doing the kids cancer project had um, a lot of intelligence that i've read and absorbed like they looked at the research that they do there's 950 aussie children impacted every year give or take yeah so of the children that are diet these are just diagnoses every year 950 and of the children diagnosed 20 percent of them will outright die they won't survive treatment so that's three and this is not the global numbers these are just domestic numbers. So here in Australia, three children every week will perish, die horrible deaths. The parents, the families, whatever. In some cases, you know, the family situation may not be beautiful. It's compromised and all the rest. But for the most part, the loss of a child is such a crippling and horrible pain. So there's parents that, you know, the, the impact is more than just the loss of a life. It's the destruction of a family. And I met people on the road who, who had 20 years later carried that special kind of grief, you know. So I, I thought about um, charities that, that 
try to help soften treatment. You've got things like make a wish, you know. Okay, that's great. Doesn't solve the problem. It just gives gives some some trivial like a thing into those final hours of life. I'm not saying it's. It, I, I shouldn't have used the word trivial. It's beautiful, but yeah. Let's let's go back to the roots of the tree. You know, um, Ronald McDonald House. There are all these charities out there about helping house and whatnot. Uh, for me, the research was fundamental. You know, it's about it's making sure. But and for me, as I walked, it's that idea of saving even just one life. And there's the old Hebrew proverb that I've quoted so many times that if you save but one life, you save the world entire. Yeah. So I'm walking, and I'm like, just you save just one kid. You know, just one kid. But the thing about the research is, as it improves, it becomes a new normal. So the 950 next year becomes 949. So that, that for me, that was why. That's why. And it wasn't until much later that was when I was walking, I'm like, I had that in my mind. Quite often I'd be thinking, you know, if it just saves one life, it makes it all worthwhile. It makes my own cancer worthwhile. All of the suffering subsequent worthwhile. The pain of the walk, the ordeal of the walk itself worthwhile if I can just save one life. But then much later, though, I realised I already had. I'd saved my own. And there's there's inspiration in that. Like this little kid, Ahaja, is inspired by it. And I love it, you know. And it is. It goes back to hope. So supporting the charity, um, it's about raising money. Money is symbolic of value. I think time is the only currency that matters, really, because it's forever. We have we have to be mindful with how we spend it, yeah. But yeah, raising money, research, uh, one hundred sixty-four thousand and counting. Charity page is still open, and the um, director of the Kids Cancer Project at the end said to me, "On average, our research projects are around one hundred fifty grand. So you know, your walk has funded one significant research undertaking wow. in relation to pediatric cancer. So I, I can live with that. Yeah. That's fantastic. What did you end up raising?" So uh, it's still counting, but it's 164,800 something. Oh, that's um, fantastic. The initial stated goal was a quarter of a million. So technically it's a failure, you know, but the, um, I just, I came up with a quarter of a million because they, they wouldn't let me say a million. So I'll, let's raise a million dollars for the charity. And they're like, that's completely insane. And I'm like, okay, half a million. That's completely insane. An average fundraiser is $4,000, Simon. And I'm like, quarter of a million. And they're like, fuck, all right. Look, we'll, we'll call it a quarter of a million, but don't get your hopes up, you know. But we, we gave it a good shot, and I, I think I think it's a it was a significant outcome. But the thing is, it was of benefit for more than just the monetary result. Yeah, I agree. And speaking of kids, because you're saying that kids shine a lot and everything, and and I'm so happy that you've raised that much money. And I agree with you. I love the I love your philosophy, and I I hope you're right. You know that about the the new norm, and then you know it comes down each year, and it comes down each year, and and. I can I can absolutely see you trudging along that road, going just save one life, just save one life. You just one life save, and, and I absolutely did, hundred percent. I absolutely did. I was like chanting it, just one life, just one life, like like the little engine that could trying to keep yeah. my own. I love it. And well, you obviously like like you sang before. Kids are just beautiful. They're just the shining light and everything else. Now you've got three kids, and I know that part of this part of this walk was to leave a legacy. You know, for your kids that if if their cancer ever did come back, they would see what their dad did, and you know they'd be reminded. What do your let's 
let's hope that doesn't happen. Let's sort of throw that out off the off the table. But what what happened when you got back? Like, tell me tell me what your kids think about this walk and how it's changed your relationship or built your relationship or what's happened. Well, I, parenting's a long game. Yeah. yeah. So a lot, of the, a lot of that remains to be seen. I've been home for a couple of months and I've been in a state of slothful collapse. Yeah. So um, we went and saw Dr. Strange yesterday, you know, so I'm trying to go back to being the active parent that I was, but I'm also like, I, I, I am changed. So I have three little boys. When I was uh, first diagnosed, my youngest son was three. So that's one of the crippling dimensions to like why cancer was so profoundly hurtful the ramifications of it were so destructive for me because mm -hmm. I had to face the idea that this little three-year-old kid would 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 be subjected to grief yeah be raised without it without me and uh, good bad or indifferent I do inject like the path of their lives with me in it is better than the path of, of their lives with me absent because uh, I'm a good dad but I want to great dad I want to be the best dad I want to I want to piss on all you other dads out there and you know <laughs> I got the t-shirt I'm the best you know <laughs> you know I, I want to be champion dad and I, I guess you know it remains to be seen whether I achieve that but the big walk has allowed me to crystallize those goals in terms of the way it impacted their life like you know they had their mum full-on single parenting them for a few months and at the but my local community knew all about the walk. It, even before I left, I'd been walking around doing these practice walks from like Ipswich, Redcliffe, like these places around Brisbane that are about 40 to 60K away. So I could do, you know, yeah. test my experience, test the gear, um, also get out with the costume on and kind of pre-promote it a bit. And, um, yeah, the so as I was walking, when I'd get on the telly or whatever, the kids became little rock stars in the school. And... Now, even though I'm all sloppo, I'll be walking through the school in the afternoon and kids will go, G'day, Captain Australia. <laughs> me, and I'm like, G'day, mate. And I loved stopping the schools on the way down. I, 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 I do love the idea that even, even ignoring that inspiration level, just the basic, you know, dressed up like this sort of thing, if that injects a little bit of completely unanticipated fun or strange into a child's life if it gives them just this moment of memory where they'll look back when they're like 30 and they go i remember that <laughs> what was wrong with that dickhead and then they take <laughs> holy crap and then then maybe it, it, it leads to inspiration but even just giving a child that memory is great you know and I had, like, on the way down, uh, I stopped at a school at Naruma, Mogo, uh, New Morella. There were a few schools where they invited me in to speak. Um, and, I mean, the kid, Naruma was great. They, they had the whole school in the assembly hall there. So there was, like, a, a couple of thousand kids all lined up. And it was the preppies up the front. And I'm, like, answering questions. I think I did a great job, too. I, I randomly made them giggle, like I do a little bit of a rap or something. And I, I'd unrehearsed, unscripted, and I'd been walking all day to get there. Um, but, you know, like, the, down the back, there was this teenager who asks a question, and I can't quite hear. So I purposefully answered a different question. So I'm like, she'd go, you know, have you injured yourself while you're walking or whatever? And I'd go, well, if I had to choose... I'd say Ernie is much better than Bert. Like he's sweet and kind and Bert's the nasty one. Everyone's like, what the hell? And then they burst out laughing. <laughs> Questions about weren't even asked. But the kids in the front 
were like, <laughs> and I'm like, yes, mate, you. And I point the mic at them and he's like, I forgot. <laughs> you know? ah. <laughs> or uh, then what's your question, mate? And he's like, Captain Australia, how heavy is your pack? Or there'll be a little girl, hey, what about you, sweetheart? My dad knows about snakes. That's not a question, but good on you. you know? <laughs> it's great. You know, I loved it. And there's a there's a little element of that here in my my home suburb. Um, I'm I'm sort of recognised now a little bit, even when I'm walking around just as dodgy old Simon. And there's, you know, I have to be careful about that. I don't want to be spitting on the side of the road or anything because they're like, Captain Australia, dirty bastard. Yeah. <laughs> I've absolutely loved this conversation. And I'm reckon you just mentioned before there's a, it sounded like you had a website. We were talking about this eight months ago and I think you are going to get a website. Oh, yeah, yeah, so I've created it. it. You, um, I'm right now what I'm doing, this is also, in addition to Keep It 100, I'm retelling the walk. So I took all these streams and 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 photos and i tried to like answer people's questions there on the side of the road sitting to a snake or whatever but i did i did an inherently bad job because i'm I, you know i'm not a social media star and it wasn't cynical it wasn't contrived so i didn't have a script or a playbook i was just trying to share it like you said to create that living diary for my children was the first motivation although it was morbid if cancer came back for me, they would know who I was and what mattered. But I think the fact that it was true and it was always trying to be true uh, resonated for some people, but it had truth but not clarity. So I'm going back. I've done the first four days, uh, so I'm retelling it, compiling the streams into one video, uh, adding comments and insights here and there, and just journaling it. So it's captainaustralia.online if you want to take a look, and it's got it's got yeah. like um, individual. So it, I've got this page where it's like got little snippets of every day. And, and right now it's just one, two, three, four, but at the end it'll be all of them. And you can see as I go back and like recompile, there's stuff that I missed. Like when I crossed the New South Wales border, there's this sort of um, monument there and there's a line that says you're on Queensland, this side, New South Wales, that way. And there was a lady having a little picnic on the line that when I'm, I'm so focused on, oh, here I am, New South Wales, I claim you, uh, this land is my own and blah, 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 making my pronouncements and crossing the border and I'd been spending four days to get there. So I didn't really notice her, but she in the background is like photobombing and laughing. And, she's, and I did. So as I go through and recompile, there's all these little things that I missed and I'm also just able to kind of, share my own insights now looking back but yeah that you get to you you get to concretely sort of see that change too but at the start when I'm I was kind of play acting and I'm hoping and just sort of muddling through and that you can kind of see this transition and I'm looking forward to when I got to Ballina uh, like the, the weeks two and three um, I started to, it became more about the people that I was meeting. There was, there was a long period where it was about the ordeal, but then we started to see kindness, started to see hospitality and, and other people's stories. Uh, so I'm looking forward to getting to some, some of that stuff and, and breaking it down. Oh. oh, that's awesome. So so people can go and look at captainaustralia.online. And what about um, Facebook and Instagram? What Where can they find you there? I used Facebook as, as the main vehicle for streaming and stuff. So all of that's there in the timeline as well. It's Cap's Big Walk, if anybody wants to suss that out. Um, and I do still occasionally 
stream up and stay in touch and whatnot is Instagram, too old. Um, uh, and I've got a bunch of videos and stuff on YouTube because that's the way I put it on the website. You know, it's got those embedded on your website sort of tricks. Um, so I'm just, my, I'm not a web person and it's all horribly amateurish, but I'm just doing my best with the tools that I have. Doesn't matter. It's a way of watching what you're doing and it's a way of connecting with you as well. So I'm going to put all of those in the show notes, all those links so people can can, can go and see them and connect with you as well if they want to. And I hope they do because I, I, I love you. You know, I do, as I said, you know, we're, We've formed a friendship and I, I just think you're bloody brilliant, you know, and I know, you know, you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. You know, you talk about honestly struggling and, and you're still battling your way through working out who you are. And I love that because that's that's real. You know, I don't want it. You get people who are like, oh, yeah, I've solved all the fucking problems in the world and this is who I am. And that's not real, what you're talking about. What, what you're talking about is real. And it's like, I still don't know. This is just a journey. This is one more chapter in my life and let's see where we go. So I love that about you. Absolutely love it. I, I think uh, as I've walked, people have reflected back at me things about myself that at first I couldn't receive. So I, in the first four days or so that I've done on this journal, um, whenever somebody would compliment me, you can see it in my face. I'm like, ah, that's really nice of you to say, but that's not true, you know, ah, oh, shut up. You know, yeah. I got better as I started to fall in love with myself. Yeah. Um, I got better at receiving that kind feedback as well. But for me, like what you, what you just said, it's, it's um, fundamental, the idea that, the, the truer your depiction of who you are as unordered warts and all that you offer, if you do something of merit and you earn regard, you have really earned it because it's you. It's not some bullshit. Even though I'm wearing a mask, mm. it's me. You know what I mean? It's, uh, I'm not, I'm not trying, to, trying to fake it. And that authenticity then gives other people this, this sort of, oh, okay, it's okay to be confused. It's okay to feel alone or even destructive or whatever. What it's about is the choice and how I respond to that and how I forward. And it's it 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 also demonstrates that you should diligently try and do that in your life, all your life. The the more cemented you are in your viewpoints, the more dangerous they are. You know what I mean? All your life be looking at who you are and who you want to be refining it and honing it so you got these people who are like i'm champion and i'm whatever you're bloody dangerous mate mm. you know like just pull your thumb out and <laughs> or your head out or whatever the saying is and and yeah like and by doing that we kind of say that it's okay to do that yeah yeah and yeah i, I mean it's right back at you anyway thank you for your kind words and i the get off the bench thing i loved it from the moment you told me about it you know so and it is, that's what life needs to be. I mean, in a way, the big walk is metaphorical to it, you know. Mm. It's get up, move forward. Like you have to find ways. doesn't matter how much life grinds you down, as it does. You know? It's not about that. Suffering can illuminate future joy. It can grind down. It can. It can, it can knock you over. And you can spend your life focusing on how unfair it is and how wrong it is. Or you can get the fuck up and move forward. Yeah. Sorry. No, that's, that's fine. Uh, that, that's, but that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And it's, 
And it is about choice and we forget that we've got choice. And once we recognise and really understand that we do have choice, you know, there's and people say they're stuck, but there's always a next step. There's always another choice to make. So, well, I have absolutely loved this. I hope that people go follow you and I, you know, and, and yes, it's over, but you're still, it, it, you, you're not over, you know, every, or your energy is still in it. Your energy is still sitting there. You're still streaming. You're still, you know, they can go back and be inspired by it, but I just, I can't wait to see what's next. And it doesn't have to be anything great. <laughs> As I walk the dog or as I go about my day-to-day life, there's something aching in me to be out on the road, you know. Like, so if if at some point some fabulously wealthy individual or organisation sponsored it, I would circumnavigate Australia on foot. Captain wow. Australia, lap, go everywhere. It would take a year. But that, that there's something being out there in it. That I, I kind of – it's kind of like people who come back from Vietnam or whatever, like, sorry, the war – and they're like, you know, part of me always stayed there. I, I feel as there's still a little bit of me still on the road. And that sort of itinerance, if that's a word, yeah, I, I, I kind of appreciate that, that, that adventure. So I'm not done with that, I don't think. I just don't know. Not yet. But anyway, I love that you're saying that. I just don't know yet. And I wish more people would just say that. I just don't know yet. But Anyway, I have loved this. So thank you so, so, so much. And uh, we'll stay in touch. And um, this episode will drop in a few weeks. And I just can't wait to share it with everybody. So thank you. All the best. Yeah, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. You take care of yourself. I will. You too. Thank you. Thanks so much. See ya. Oh, guys, that was fantastic. I hope you got something out of that. Let's, I think that, I don't know, I don't even know where to start because there are so many valuable lessons in it. But just so many valuable insights and thoughts and, you know, it, it's. I think that the biggest takeaway I get from it is that life can really serve you up shit on toast. It really can. And at the end of the day, we've got a choice. And I, I know that sometimes we can be, you know, struck down by an illness or and that can be a mental illness as well. And it, it can really, really take us over. But... Well, I know I say I'm saying but in a flimsy way, but I don't mean it like that. I just really want to sort of emphasize that we have a choice and, and we can choose to eat that shit on toast or we can choose to say, I, I don't want to eat that. You know, I, I want to try something else. And maybe it's just adding extra things into your day or into your life. But, you know, I, I think that role modeling and, and, inspiring other people and even when it's tough I think it's a good thing to do because at the end of the day we want we all want peace we all want happiness we all want a better world and we and it's so nice to think and maybe it's selfish I don't know but maybe it's altruistic not sure but there's something really special and really valuable in doing something and pushing through something and that inspiring somebody else to believe in what Simon talks about in the hope for a better tomorrow. So I really hope that you got some hope from that and that you were inspired by Simon's story. Um, please go follow him, captainaustralia.online or also Captain's Big Walk, Captain Australia's Big Walk or Cap's Big, Big Walk on Facebook. I'm going to put the links in the show notes anyway. So please go and check him out and I really, really, really hope 
that that brought some in, inspiration to you. And, you know, I, and I also want to thank you for joining me every week. And I know I say it every week, but I've been thinking a lot about this lately. And, you know, this podcast wouldn't be continuing without the support of good people like yourself. And some people I don't even know who listen to this, but they just tell me out of the blue, hey, I love your podcast. I listen to it. And I didn't even know they were. So um, if it wasn't for your love and your support and your continued listening, uh, this podcast would be going out to nobody and it would be pointless. So uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so very much. And I will see you next week. See ya. Thanks for joining me. As always, I hope this episode inspired you. If you know somebody who's taken courageous action to create something that's making a difference for other people, let me know about it. Go to my website, karenvaughan.com, tinker around there, have a bit of a look and send me a message. I can't wait to hear from you. And remember, you're worth it. Your unique talents and gifts need to be out in this world. And I'm so passionate about inspiring you to achieve that. So you've listened to this episode. Just say yes, make the decision and put one foot in front of the other. See you next week.